Section 7 of The Emperor of Portugalia by Selma Lagerlöf. Translated by Velma Swanston Howard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Lars Rolander. Section 7. Agrippa. The little girl was certainly a marvel. When she was only ten years old, she could manage even Agrippa Prestberg, the sight of whom was enough to scare almost any one out of his wits. Agrippa had yellow-red-lidded eyes, topped with bushy eyebrows, a frightful nose, and a wiry beard that stood out from his face like raised bristles. His forehead was covered with deep wrinkles, and his figure was tall and ungainly. He always wore a ragged military cap. One day, when the little girl sat all by herself on the flat stone in front of the hut, eating her evening meal of buttered bread, she espied a tall man coming down the lane, whom she soon recognized as Agrippa Prestberg. However, she kept her wits about her, and at once broke and doubled her slice of bread, buttered side in, then slipped it under her apron. She did not attempt to run away or to lock up the house, knowing that that would be useless with a man of his sort, but kept her seat. All she did was to pick up an unfinished stocking Katrina had left lying on the stone when starting out with Jan's supper a while ago, and go to knitting for dear life. She sat there as if quite calm and content, but with one eye on the gate. No, indeed, there was not a doubt about it. Agrippa intended to pay them a visit, for just then he lifted the gate-latch. The little girl moved farther back on the stone and spread out her skirt. She saw now that she would have to guard the house. Glory Goldie knew to be sure that Agrippa Prestberg was not the kind of man who would steal, and he never struck anyone unless they called him Grippy or offered him buttered bread, nor did he stop long at a place where folk had the good luck not to have a Darlecarlian clock in the house. Agrippa went about in the parish doctoring clocks, and once he set foot in a house where there was a tall old-fashioned chimney-clock, he could not rest until he had removed the works to see if there was anything wrong with them and he never failed to find flaws which necessitated his taking the whole clock apart. That meant he would be days putting it together again. Meantime one had to house and feed him. The worst of it was that if Agrippa once got his hands on a clock, it would never run as well as before, and afterward one had to let him tinker it at least once a year, or it would stop going altogether. The old man tried to do honest and conscientious work, but just the same he ruined all the clocks he touched. Therefore it was best never to let him fool with one's clock. That Glory Goldie knew, of course, but she saw no way of saving the Dalekarlian timepiece which was ticking away inside the hut. Agrippa knew of the clock being there, and had long watched for an opportunity to get at it but at other times when he was seen thereabout, Katrina had been at home to keep him at a safe distance. When the old man came up, he stopped right in front of the little girl, struck the ground with his stick, and rattled off. 
Here comes you another Agrippa pressed by, drummer boy to his royal highness and the crown. I have faced shot and shell, and fear neither angels nor devils. Anybody home? Glory Goldie did not have to reply, for he strode past her into the house, and went straight over to the big Dalekarlian clock. The girl ran in after him, and tried to tell him what a good clock it was, that it ran neither too fast nor too slow, and needed no mending. How can a clock run well that has not been regulated by you and utter Agrippa Prestbury? The old man roared. He was so tall he could open the clock case without having to stand on a chair. In a twinkling he removed the face and the works and placed them on the table. Glory Goldie clenched the hand under her apron, and tears came to her eyes. But what could she do to stop him? Agrippa was in a fever of a hurry to find out what ailed the clock, before Jan or Katrina could get back and tell him it needed no repairing. He had brought with him a small bundle containing work tools and grease jars, which he tore open with such haste that half its contents fell to the floor. Glory Goldie was told to pick up everything that had dropped, and any one who has seen Agrippa pressed by must know she would not have dared do anything but obey him. She got down on all fours and handed him a tiny saw and a mallet. "'Anything more?' he bellowed. "'Be glad you're allowed to serve His Majesty's and the Kingdom's drummer-boy, you confounded crofter-brat!' "'No, not that I see,' replied the little girl meekly. Never had she felt so crushed and unhappy. She was to look after the house for her mother and father, and now this had to happen. "'But the spectacles,' snapped Agrippa, "'they must have dropped too.' no said the girl there are no spectacles here suddenly a faint hope sprang up in her what if he couldn't do anything to the clock without his glasses what if they should be lost and just then her eye lit in the spectacle case behind a leg of the table the old man rummaged and searched among the cogwheels and springs in his bundle i don't see but i'll have to get down on the floor myself and hunt he said presently get up crofter brat quick as a flash the little girl's hand shot out and closed over the spectacle case which she hid under her apron up with you thundered agrippa i believe you're lying to me what are you hiding under your apron come out with it she promptly drew out one hand the other hand she had kept under her apron the whole time. Now she had to show that one, too. Then he saw the buttered bread. Ugh! It is buttered bread! Agrippa shrank back as if the girl were holding out a rattlesnake. I sat eating it when you came, and then I put it out of sight, for I know you don't like butter. The old man got down on his hands and knees and began to search, but to no purpose, of course. "'You must have left them where you were last,' said Glory Goldie. He had wondered about that himself, though he thought it unlikely. At all events he could do nothing to the clock without his glasses. He had no choice but to gather up his tools and replace the works in the clock-case. 
while his back was turned the little girl slipped the spectacles into his bundle where he found them when he got to lövdala manor the last place he had been to before coming to rufflack croft on opening the bundle to show they were not there the first object that caught his eye was the spectacle case next time he saw jan and katrina in the pine grove outside the church he went up to them that girl of yours that handy little girl of yours is going to be a comfort to you he told them forbidden fruit there were many who said to jan of rufflack that his little girl would be a comfort to him when she was grown folks did not seem to understand that she already made him happy every day and every hour that god granted them only once in the whole time of her growing period did jan have to suffer any annoyance or humiliation on her account the summer the little girl was eleven her father took her to lövdala manor on the seventeenth of august which was the birthday of the lord of the manor lieutenant liljekrona the seventeenth of august was always a day of rejoicing that was looked forward to all the year by every one in svartsjö and in bro not only by the gentry who participated in all the festivities but also by the young folk of the peasantry who came in crowds to lövdala to look at the smartly dressed people and to listen to the singing and the dance music there was something else too that attracted the young people to lövdala on the seventeenth of august and that was all the fruit that was to be found in the orchard at that time to be sure the children had been taught strict honesty in most matters but when it came to a question of such things as hang on bushes and trees out in the open they felt at liberty to take as much as they wanted just so they were careful not to be caught at it when jan came into the orchard with his glory goldie he noticed how the little girl opened her eyes when she saw all the fine apple trees laden with big round greenings and jan would not have denied her the pleasure of tasting of the fruit had he not seen superintendent söderlind and two other men walking about in the orchard on the lookout for trespassers he hurried glory goldie over to the lawn in front of the manor house out of temptation's way it was plain that her thoughts were still on the apple trees and the gooseberry bushes for she never even glanced at the prettily dressed children of the upper class or at the beautiful flowers jan could not get her to listen to the fine speeches delivered by the dean of bru and engineer boreus of bory in honour of the day why she would not even listen to sexton blackie's congratulatory poem anders öster's clarinet could be heard from the house it was playing such lively dance music just then that folks were hardly able to hold themselves still but the little girl only tried to find a pretext for getting back to the orchard jan kept a firm grip on her hand all the while and no matter what excuse she would hit upon to break away he never relaxed his hold 
everything went smoothly for him until evening when dusk fell then colored lanterns were brought out and set in the flower beds and hung in the trees and in among the clinging ivy that covered the house walls it was such a pretty sight that jan who had never before seen anything of that kind quite lost his head and hardly knew whether he was still on earth but just the same he did not let go of the little hand when the lanterns had been lighted anders öster and his nephew and the village shopkeeper and his brother-in-law struck up a song while they sang the air seemed to vibrate with a strange sort of rapture that took away all sadness and depression it came so softly and caressingly on the balmy night air that jan just gave up to it as did every one else all were glad to be alive glad they had so beautiful a world to live in this must be the way folks feel who live in paradise said a youth looking very solemn after the singing there were fireworks and when the rockets went up into the indigo night sky and broke into showers of red blue and yellow stars jan was so carried away that for the moment he forgot about glory goldie when he came back to himself she was gone it can't be helped now thought jan i only hope all will go well with her as usual and that superintendent söderlinde or any of the other watchers won't lay hands on her it would have been futile for jan to try to find her out in the big dark orchard he knew that the sensible thing for him to do was to remain where he was and wait for her and he did not have to wait very long there was one more song the last strains had hardly died away when he saw superintendent söderlin come up with glory goldie in his arms lieutenant liljekrona was standing with a little group of gentlemen at the top of the steps listening to the singing when superintendent söderlin stopped in front of him and set the little girl down on the ground glory goldie did not scream or try to run away she had picked her apron full of apples and thought of nothing save to hold it up securely so that none of the apples would roll out this youngster has been up in the apple trees said superintendent söderlind and your orders were that if i caught any apple thieves i was to bring them to you Lieutenant Liljekrona glanced down at the little girl, and the fine wrinkles round his eyes began to twitch. It was impossible to tell whether he was going to laugh or cry in a second. He had intended to administer a sharp reprimand to the one who had stolen his apples. But now, when he saw the little girl tighten her hands round her apron, he felt sorry for her only he was puzzled to know how he should manage this thing so that she could keep her apples for if he were to let her off without further ado it might result in his having his whole orchard stripped so you've been up in the apple trees have you said the lieutenant you have gone to school and read about adam and eve so you ought to know how dangerous it is to steal apples 
at that moment jan came forward and placed himself beside his daughter he felt quite put out with her for having spoilt his pleasure but of course he had to stand by her don't do anything to the little girl lieutenant he said for it was i who gave her leave to climb the tree for the apples glory goldie sent her father a withering glance and broke her silence that isn't true she declared i wanted the apples father has been standing here the whole evening holding on to my hand so i shouldn't go pick any now the lieutenant was tickled good for you my girl said he you did right in not letting your father shoulder the blame i suppose you know that when our lord was so angry at adam and eve it wasn't because they had stolen an apple but because they were cowards and tried to shift the blame the one onto the other you may go now and you can keep your apples because you were not afraid to tell the truth with that he turned to one of his sons and said give jan a glass of punch we must drink to him because his girl spoke up for herself better than old mother eve it would have been well for us all if glory goldie had been in the garden of eden instead of eve end of section seven read by lars rolander